Our fast favourites guest today is none other than the up-and-coming singer-songwriter by the name of Neil Finn. He's got a little band by the name of Crowded House, and they have a new single out, uh, which is Neil's going to share with us today. It's called Oh Hi. It's ahead of a new album in May. Kia ora, Neil. Welcome to Culture 101, or should I say, Oh Hi. Oh hi, oh hi to you. <laughs> Your new single, oh hi. That's right. Uh, lovely, lovely to have you here in the studio. Look, I believe you're about to jet off to the other side of the world, so thank you for the time spent with us. That's and okay. I hear you've been busking a little bit closer to home, Neil. Yeah, I did actually end up doing a few songs up at the Coatesville Market the other day. Just um, It was a sort of a, re- a returning a favour for a, um, a friend who tunes my piano at Roundhead oh. and... Uh, he was advocating for the Coatesville Market and said, "Well, there's a little music thing up there. Do you want to?" And um, so, yeah, it was a beautiful day. And I sat down, a very lovely audience, and um, my guitar was coming and going a little bit with with a dud lead. So it was, <laughs> I was really in the in the realms of you know how it all began, playing at the local fair, yeah, yeah, school gathering or something. You know, felt like that it was nice. Yeah, so Coatesville, for those who who don't know, it's not Las Vegas. Ladies and gentlemen, it is, it's, uh, it's the country, really, isn't it, still? Maybe a little bit more gentrified now, but just north of... Yeah, I think it's pretty gentrified because there's some really big houses up there as we drove past on the way in. So I think it's a, it's a, a pocket, of, um, pro- pocket, pocket of privilege in the country, but uh, <laughs> with people coming from all over the place, obviously, you don't have to present your um, bank balance at the door. No. <laughs> Do you get asked to play a lot of markets and weddings? Do you get emails asking not, you that? Not a, I mean, I do get asked to play all sorts of manner of things, and sometimes I sneak into those things and, and happy to do it. I did have a, a sort of a strain, a little yen, yen at some point when um, when I'm getting tired of travelling that I might just do gigs around yeah. all of the small places in the area just so I don't have to um, get on planes and stuff <laughs> anymore. And and just be useful, you know, because music's quite useful for brightening up people's day. So, um, and I think that we had a pretty nice time at Coatesville. You did that lovely trip. Actually, you were in my village of Paikakariki um, not so long ago with, with the whānau doing a whole lot of, you did lots of t- a we tour did. of halls, small halls. That was yeah, where's my room tour? Yeah, it was really, uh, that was exciting. We, um, Blink, put that together. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, an incredible array of place, of halls, some in places I'd never heard of. I had heard of Paikokoriki, and we had a lovely night there at the hall there. Mm. Um, I heard of it mostly because Noel Crombie from Split Ends I, was born in I just found that out recently. There's a little yeah. f- the photograph in our museum at the moment with a, 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 young, a young Noel Crombie in it, a whole lot of, yeah. a lot of kids from the village. Stamping ground, yeah. He used to, <laughs> yeah, I've got some good stories from Paikokoriki. He was quite a, a wild child. Well, you're about to, uh, you have just released a new single, Oh Hi, with Crowded House, and yep. um, I, I presume you're going to be playing some bigger venues uh, uh, for that one, um, ahead of a new album in May. But before we introduce that, we, we've asked you here on Culture 101 to spread some love, really, for other artists, particularly yep. artists here in New Zealand. We call this slot Fast Favourites. So mm-hmm. we're interested in your kind of shout-outs in terms of New Zealand artists, and I do understand you've had some ace kind of Māori producers in your studio there, Roundhead, recently. I have, and um, I, I wish they had a name that I could collectively call them because they were. It was an amazing week that went on and Roundhead. One of the joys of having a studio is when things like this happen. It was nominally a song hubs, which has happened on a few occasions through APRA as an organisation to put them together. But this was more of a personal mission. Um, Rory Noble, who's a very fine producer uh, and has been in the studio many times, gathered to gear, uh, together a whole bunch of really amazing songwriters, singers, producers, um, and spent a week 
working in close proximity to each other and, and inspiring each other on and wrote, I think, must have been 25, uh, if not finished songs, um, mm. you know, well down the track, uh, which I had the pleasure of listening to at the end of the week and just catching the vibe of these people who had been buzzing on each other's company and some of the music was just really, really evolved and fantastic. The mission that they had was to try and discover an authentic New Zealand or Aotearoa sound. Um, hmm. uh, and no biggie. No biggie, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a really noble pursuit um, from Rory Noble and his friends. And um, I was just really taken with the whole thing. And, uh, you know, the shout out to all of, to some of them, not all of them, Tawaz, Kings, Rob Ruha was there, Lena. Uh, Mikey, Dam, Summer V and Teeks were there and Rory, of course, himself and a bunch of other really amazing singers. So uh, just the joy that was in the room. And it just made me feel like uh, in this era of trying to um, preserve the good progress that's been made um, with Māori, uh, you know, culture within the community influencing the whole country, uh, these guys were right on the forefront of something quite exciting, and um, mm. a, and the talent on display was amazing, beautiful. So it gave me great hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're reminding me we had Witi Ihemata in in playing Fast Favorites uh, only a couple of weeks ago, and he his you know he was maintaining that Tereo Māori music music around the language is going to go global this year. Of course, we've seen some wonderful performances this week with Waitangi. Yeah. Day. Yeah. Well, it's just progressing in leaps and bounds, and and it's not it is inclusive, and I think the you know everybody's invited along for the ride. It's something we should be proud of as New Zealanders, and we're all trying to kind of find some um, some sound that links us together. I mean, I wrote a song called "Don't Dream It's Over" years ago, and I I've heard of that. And I, I mm. definitely <laughs> I definitely empl- employed what I had learnt at, at, at parties as a teenager, the Maori ah. strum. And it was, I think these guys in the studio were referring a little bit to that too, but there was something about knocking out that backbeat, which I think connected some of this music to why reggae was such a um, a big, you know, explosion here. There's there's something that's lurking that we are, we're all in the process of trying to discover and it's exciting. And like music will save the world. Well, this is interesting because that reminds me of the other news headline apart from the Coatesville country market in the last couple of weeks in regards to you, which was um, Bono and the Edge of U2 playing Don't Dream It's Over in Las Vegas. And I watched um, Bono talking about, he, he, he rhapsodizes at the beginning of, I don't know if you've seen it, Neil, about freedom and the importance that we hold on to freedom. And then he plays Don't Dream It's Over. And there's something just wonderful about that thing of, of, a, of a song being able to move, just give people hope. And to have at least one song, it must be very gratifying that you you gift the world. It's an incredible thing, yeah. It really is the way it's travelled. That song has been extraordinary, and I and I you know feel very grateful for all of the exponents of of it. And it does seem to have a kind of a universality that it wasn't in tower. I wasn't deliberate with in some cases, in some way when I wrote it, but it certainly has become. There's been applications to some of the lyrics as time's gone on and people have reached out in certain occasions um, at special events to play that song. It has some meaning. So, yeah, I'm just super grateful for that exchange. I, I'm super grateful that Bono remembered that my mother was born in Kilmallock in Ireland and oh. uh, gave a shout-out to her. Um, and I was my, wondering my what the connection I, was there, yeah, for your mother. Right. Yeah, no, I'd had told him years and years ago, maybe 40 years ago, that my mother was born in Kilmallock when we met in a hotel somewhere. And such is his memory, and uh, you know, uh, it's kind of a an indication of part of the reason that Bono is 
so successful. <laughs> he's got an incredible memory. Like an elephant. And he makes people feel that things are important that he's talking to you about. You know, it's a, it's a lovely trait. Did you get a call that that was going to happen or was it a surprise? I didn't get a call. It, it got sent to me as a, um, a link. And, um, yeah, it's just lovely when the songs turn up in that huge dome dome thing and that, uh, you know, and he's a man who's, who thinks and cares about the world a lot, so it's nice that he th- saw there was some resonance there. So, yeah, it's great. Do you get sick of talking about that song? And then uh, second part to the question, do you get sick about being asked whether you're sick of talking about the song? <laughs> You've covered all bases yeah, there, haven't just you? in case. Um, no, I don't get sick of talking about it. I don't get sick of playing it and... I just see it as a great, um, you know, privilege to have that there and for it to communicate so much to so many people. So uh, I have said before that the, I'm just grateful that it's a song I still really enjoy singing and I'm proud of it. I, there are some people who have a really big hit with a novelty song that's off the side of their normal catalogue. <laughs> yes. I think that might be quite hard, but, you know, I remember the day I wrote the song on a piano at my brother's place and I remember doing a little demo of it playing a matchbox as a snare drum with my f- my finger. And um, I kind of knew there was something good going on there. I had no idea it was going to be a big hit, but I knew that there was something intrinsically good with it. So, And that's always a... When you write a song for, and it's just finished, it's there's no better feeling on earth, really. Well, that's a favourite of many people's, but you've got a pick in terms of a favourite of another artist uh, in, in recent years, which is Victoria Kelly, uh, who you've worked with a fair bit, I think, um, of her, uh, her Requiem piece that yeah. was performed recently. Why have you picked this? I have. It's. Um, I know Victoria really well. She's worked on a lot of music with me and she's an incredible artist in her own right and an amazing arranger and a wonderful person and funny as hell. And um, But this requiem's been brewing in her for a long time. She unfortunately lost her parents when they were relatively young and she was young and I think it was a very important piece of work for her at long time in the making and incredibly resonant because of that. Uh, I remember the first time my wife Sharon and I listened to this piece in the studio after she'd recorded it, we wept um, openly and I don't think I've listened to it once since then and not had tears in my eyes. So it's it's not easy to have that level of emotion and with Sam Hunt's beautiful poem, The Lighthouse Keeper on Top, it's just just a winner on all fronts. Well, let's have a listen. Uh, it is truly beautiful. This is um, with, from Requiem with Tenor, Simon O'Neill, and based on the poem by Sam Hunt. They say the lighthouse keeper's world is Say he hears of life. 
Yeah, Neil, that makes that always makes me cry as well. It's got that kind of quality of Don't Dream It's Own as well, which is just this kind of sense of ascension, this light, this kind of raising above things and, and providing space for grief but also love and hope. hope that's yeah. not too sentimental to say it so. No, no, I think we need more sentiment in the world and New Zealanders need to learn to express ourselves um, with sentiment and, and love and good feeling too. Part of the joy of listening to that song, I suppose you call it, piece of work is mm. Simon O'Neill's incredible vocal. She deliberately pitched it as high as, as a tenor could get. Um, and so it was quite a difficult song to sing, but he just sings it like it's, it, it you know, it's got no gender. It's got no, it's just truly angelic of some, you know, coming from some other place. So, yeah, I love it. Uh, have you got any bees in your bonnet at the moment, Neil? Things that are sort of peeving you a little bit? Actually, now you mention it, I've been out twice to restaurants recently where they've been playing music that I suspected was AI derived, and ah. they may not have been, but it was so like functional and so um, non-musical, and yet obeyed all the sort of ticked all the boxes of what music's supposed to do, but just like completely bland and um, featureless music. And I asked somebody at a restaurant what the playlist was on Spotify, and they said Tropical House. So I'm. <laughs> Assuming that I don't like tropical house music, <laughs> but I'm also scared that it's being AI manufactured. What yeah. kind of, can you explain what kind of music it was? It's just um, really sort of smooth um, background music with chords that are, that are very predictable, um, instruments that are sort of modern um, but really generic. And, uh, it, it, you know, Sati and... Brian Eno made music for, you know, the background. For Absolutely. Maybe vacuuming or airports or restaurants or whatever. And that all had some kind of cerebral thing about it that would elevate your experience of those really banal tasks. This somehow is background music in restaurants, and it actually probably is functional, but I just really found it quite depressing. <laughs> it did the opposite. It actually drew your attention in a negative way. Yeah, just because it had no, it wasn't really music. It was kind of, yeah, I just thought it got to a point where, and I'm scared that that's what AI will be providing in a lot of situations is something that approximates music. It, it, I guess it's like elevator music back in the day. It was, it'll have that same kind of feeling about have, it. Have you had the horror nail yet of, of sort of, you know, AI sort of replicating what a crowded house song sounds like? I may have and not been aware of it. I've heard really weird um, cross, you know, like cross genre versions of Don't Dream It's Over. That, so weird that I didn't recognise them and took my wife to go, it's Don't Dream It's Over. And I go, what? <laughs> no way. I've heard it in elevators. I've heard it in supermarkets and I've heard really strange hybrid versions. But yeah, you take the rough with the smooth. Now you've got a new single out, Oh Hi, um, yeah. album to come in May. Uh, the band has changed. Um, this, is this, this is the same band for the with the last album with for, for you it and is. Nick. It's the same lineup with um, Nick Seymour, my old cohort, Mitchell Froome, our original producer on keyboards, um, and I'm blessed to have my son Liam and my son Elroy playing in the band too on guitar and drums respectively. That must be great. So, and, and you did some. I think you were touring last year a little bit. Was this recorded last year when the the four of you were all in the same place? Uh, we have been recording throughout the last couple of years whenever we get together. Everyone's spread out across the planet. Um, so Nick's in Ireland, uh, Liam's in L.A., Mitchell's in L.A., and Elroy's currently living in London. So, yeah, we couldn't be further <laughs> apart from each other. But we've been touring, and we'd get together for a week before touring and do some more recording and then go away and start working on it at home. 
it's like a movable feast, and um, it's the way that it's been for the last few years. Got quite used to it, and I, I like it that way. Maybe a little bit slower than if you're in the studio all together for six weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really, really happy with the record, and um, you know, we feel like we're becoming a better band all the time. We've done a lot of shows now. We've learned how to jam together. There's a lot of trust. <laughs> yes. I was going to say it must feel strange leaving home and having to set off across the world, but you're kind of, yeah, you're being reunited, aren't you, with family? <laughs> well, we are. That's the great blessing of it. It was a great idea on paper anyway, but it just happens to be, they happen to be two of the musicians in the world that I most would like to play with. And they've amassed a, a huge amount of experience as writers and singers and uh, between them all now. So, yeah, and everyone's deep, you know, they're deep into. Uh, the music and the legacy and um, wanting to do the right thing by it. So, yeah, it feels like a real band. Well, um, when are we going to get to see you play in Aotearoa again? I think at the end of the year, in November, December, there's, um, you know, definitely plans afoot to get back and do a, a good run. Uh, we'll be playing in the UK and US before that, uh, mm. so we'll be nice and warmed up. No more surprise market gigs before you go? <laughs> Oh, I haven't planned any, no. Um, you know, there's always a chance it'll turn up in your neighbourhood somewhere. What do you enjoy doing when you're not recording or performing or touring? I just enjoy hanging with my family and playing music, really, and swimming at the beach is my three, <laughs> is the, the sort of the triangle of my joys. Um, so I don't, you know, maybe it's a sheltered life. But the good thing about being having a studio nearby is that there's always people coming through. So yeah. I don't go out much. To, I never go to nightclubs or pubs or anything, but I have a constant stream of interesting people coming through the studio. So I interact with them, and um, that keeps me, you know, informed and entertained. You sort of brought the um, nightclubs to you and the bars to you. Maybe a little bit like that. <laughs> yeah, we've had some grand grand evenings in the <laughs> studio, um, uh, you know, some long... Uh, Long jams. <laughs> this is a bit of a pivot, but right now... Oh, go on, Helena. Hmm? Go on, pivot, pivot. pivot. <laughs> but here's a pivot. Right now, the press is full of speculation in the US about Taylor Swift uh, making a call on who she wants for president. Oh, yeah. And before Christmas, you joined uh, more than 350 people in signing an open letter to the new Prime Minister calling for uh, maintaining the ban on at sea oil and gas. So... Uh, how do you decide when you want to weigh in on politics and, and what's that sort of decision process like? Well, it is a tricky one and it's for each individual artist to make their own, um, to, to put themselves where they feel they can maintain a consistent position, I think, is what. So I, I have a lot of opinions that I express with friends and family about what's going on in the world. I very rarely choose to share them um, in the media, partly because I think, right, and rightly so, there is an element of, well, what would he know about this topic and that topic? He's a musician and, you know, he may be good. But mm. So I have a little bit of that in me as well. And there are people who are extremely good at it. But I also don't think, I think music is for everybody. And when it becomes partisan uh, in any way or political, um, actually, I was just hearing somebody interviewed on Radio New Zealand talking about how art is always political, whether it's personal. So, And I don't disagree with that either. There'll be times, I think, you, know, you keep your powder dry and then there's certain times you step into um, making a statement or actually supporting a cause. And mm. it, it counts for more because you haven't been the guy that's always commenting about. And I got off Twitter and I got off, and I don't do any social media because I just thought there was way, way too many, too much commentary going on and not enough action and 
I'd, I'd rather find, and I, you know, I'm not speaking from the high moral ground, but I'd rather find causes that I can support that are quietly in my life or in the background and kindnesses I can offer to people that are that are not needing commentary or anything than just weigh in on every topic that's going. Um, it, it feels like there's enough of that commentary going on anyway. Great answer. Thank you, Neil. And good luck with everything this year. Thank you for sharing um, with us today. And um, we're going to play your new single now, Oh Hi. Okay. Kia ora. <laughs> Kia ora.